Welcome to your PA Mentor Podcast. This week, we're going to spend the entire episode talking about onboarding and what to expect. We have a lot to cover, so let's dive in. Welcome to your PA Mentor Podcast. I'm Sammy Ngo, your host and fellow PA, and I'm here to help you navigate your way to a fulfilling PA career. At 26 years old, I landed my dream job as a brand new graduate right out of PA school without even realizing it, all because I had an incredible mentor who guided me through my first year as a clinician. My mentor completely changed my life and how I practice medicine. He didn't just teach me clinical medicine. He taught me how to love the art of medicine, how to develop work-life balance, how to avoid burnout, and most importantly, how to truly love and continue to love my profession. Because of him, I am the confident PA that I am today. And that is why I have made it my mission to help PA students and new grads navigate through the PA profession with advice, strategy, and tools to find your way to a fulfilling career as a PA. And with that said, my friends, it is now time to dive into today's episode. Hi, Erin. Hi, Sammy. I know we're talking about onboarding, but before we get all deep into it, can you tell us what exactly onboarding is? Absolutely. Onboarding is the training process of a new job. Typically, it can be anywhere from a few weeks to a few months, depending on the job. Every clinic handles this differently, and it's really important as a new grad to understand what that process is. Most new grads fail to ask about the onboarding process during their interview, which is a big mistake. Yeah. See, most larger hospitals and clinics have a standard setup for new employee orientation, but it will definitely vary in a smaller clinic or setting. But no matter where you work, onboarding should always include training on how to use the EMR, how your patients are scheduled, and how to bill. Mm -hmm. For a clinic who has never worked with a new grad, it might be up to you to let them know what sort of training you'll need to get up and running and what reasonable expectations look like for you. If you're familiar with an EMR or the clinic because you did a rotation there, you might not need to spend three weeks seeing one patient an hour to get up and running. Right. But if you're in a specialty surgery clinic, if you don't know the EMR and you're expected to see post-op patients, you are going to want to spend some time shadowing your supervising to understand the types of questions they ask and exams that they do and find out what they do to make sure the surgery was successful for that patient. Yeah. In fact, if you're a surgical PA, your onboarding time might be months, especially if you're working with several surgeons doing all kinds of procedures and surgeries. Yeah. When I first started in the emergency room, they actually had me work one-on-one with an experienced nurse practitioner for my first 12 shifts. She let me see everyone. We discussed all the cases and treatment, and she showed me how to use the EMR to maximize my charting. After that, I felt comfortable enough to see patients on my own, but I was still able to ask for help whenever I needed it. And that's incredible. It's different for everyone, so it's really important to ask if there's any flexibility with this process as well. For most places, a provider is considered fully trained when they can see a full schedule of patients and require minimal to no supervision. Find out what being fully trained looks like for your employer. Exactly. One of the things that we've noticed is that a lot of places are offering a lower salary for the first three to six months, but expecting your onboarding to only last a few weeks. The only reason to accept a lower initial salary is because you're not fully trained and able to perform at the higher level. But if you start at a clinic with the expectation that your salary will increase in three months, but after two weeks, you're expected to see 30 patients a day, that should be a deal breaker. Big red flag. I recently had a new grad that DM me and asked me if it's okay to agree to $30 an hour for the first six months. 
but her formal training was only for two weeks. Red flag, you should not be getting paid training wages when you're expected to be working as a fully trained provider. Exactly, you guys. There really shouldn't even be that big of a difference between your training salary and your regular salary. Maybe like 5 to $10 an hour, but that's it. And really only for the time that you're actually in training. So when I worked in the ER, I got paid $45 an hour for my first three months. But after that, they bumped me up. And that was eight years. Oh, oh my God. Almost nine years ago. Holy cow. Yeah, long time ago. <laughs> That's how old we are. <laughs> but honestly, there isn't a PA in any position right now who should be making less than $45 an hour during training only. But I do understand the rationale behind paying me less at that time. I was super slow and they were paying a full-time employee to work with me and I wasn't making any money for the practice. But that's part of the cost of doing business. When clinics skimp on training and underpaying providers, it never works out. Watch out for these type of clinics that burn through PAs. They get new providers, underpay them, work them like dogs for a few months, and then replace them when they're completely burnt out. Yeah, or when they start demanding a higher salary for the work that they're doing. Places that have long waiting periods just to get a decent salary are super suspect in my opinion. Agreed. I have been offered lower wages for training periods at other jobs during the interview process, and I have always turned them down. I didn't feel the need to explain myself or discuss it any further. I just moved on with the interview, and no one really seemed to mind. I was like, nope, <laughs> in a discussion. That was it. But I was still offered that position at the end of the day. I just didn't care to- Just because you're badass. Obviously, Erin. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. So, but when you first started, how long did it take you to feel fully trained? I would say maybe a good month. At my first job, which was in Connecticut in outpatient internal medicine, I was the first PA and the first new grad PA they had ever hired. They had worked with the NP before, but it was a long time ago. And that NP had years of experience before she worked with them. So how did you guys decide to manage or structure your onboarding? Well, the licensing process took a while and my doctors really wanted me to get me started right away. They offered me a job as a scribe while my license was still pending. This was part of my training process. I was a scribe for maybe, I think, like three to four weeks. I was basically doing PA work, just like a student on clinical rotation, but I was getting paid less than $10 an hour. But once my license was active, they paid me the full PA salary. I mean, that's actually really creative. It let you spend quite a bit of time with them and observe how they manage their patients and let you make some money in the interim. Most places won't let you set foot in a clinic until you have your license in hand. But that's one of the perks of working for a smaller clinic. They have more flexibility and adaptability. Absolutely. That was probably the best thing, having that little bit of money because I was so poor for a while. Right. <laughs> for a long time. Agreed. So if you're desperate for money, and I mean like really desperate for money, I would approach your clinic with possibly hiring you as a scribe. Keep in mind, this probably only works in smaller privately owned clinics. During my onboarding process, I had a very limited patient load. In the first week, I think I had maybe like five patients a day on my schedule. And then by the second week, I saw maybe 10 patients. And then I started to take some walk-ins for something simple like a UTI or a cold. And by week three or four, I had a regular schedule seeing maybe 15 to 18 patients a day on an eight-hour shift. Right. But you weren't practicing as a PA without a license, right? Oh, no, 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 no. During this time, I had to present every case to my supervising physician and he came in and evaluated the patient with me, just like in clinical rotation. 
Then when my license was finally ready, I was able to hit the ground running. But obviously, I still had to consult with him for any abdominal pain, chest pain, shortness of breath cases. And for the most part, I was pretty comfortable seeing patients on my own, at least the simple cases. Yeah. In the ER where I worked, we had to present every case to an attending, no matter how long we had worked there. And the attending would actually go behind us and introduce themselves to each patient. That was how they were able to justify billing a full reimbursement price because the physician actually was in the room with the patient. That's so crazy to me. (laughs) It blows my mind. I know. Hopefully with new legislation, we'll be able to bill the same no matter who sees the patient and we can close that loophole. I know it was super frustrating for a lot of the more experienced PAs because a lot of times they had more experience than the attending that they were having to present to. But I was super glad we had to ask because I was not ready to be left on my own. (laughs) Not at all. Oh, I totally get it. I didn't really feel comfortable seeing my own patients Maybe I think around the three month mark, which is funny because during that time, my two doctors left me alone in the clinic all by myself for an entire week. One doctor had an international vacation planned for months and the other had something abruptly happen with his court case and he had to be gone that same week. So I was alone by myself as a new grad. Scary. (laughs) Yeah, it was so scary. (laughs) But... They were so supportive during that time. They gave me a very light schedule with less complicated patients. They also gave me their cell phone number, their wife's cell phone number, their kid's cell phone number, and literally (laughs) the cell phone number of every single specialist in town, just in case shit went down and I needed assistance. I had like every single person's number. I was like, wow, okay. And that's great because I never felt too overwhelmed. I didn't feel like I was drowning. I had support. I would have loved if you'd had to call like, Johnny, where's your dad? I need him (laughs) right now. (laughs) No, I didn't do that. I just, I I didn't call anybody actually. I was surprised, but. Nailed it. I was ready to call people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how did your onboarding at a bigger clinic compare to that first job? Oh, big, big difference. So with my current job, which is at a large corporation, we have over 25 clinics across town. They have us do a three-week onboarding process and corporate training was the first week, like the boring stuff, you know, the core values of the clinic, HR stuff. And then the second week, we go over the EMR training and then you go to different clinics, you shout out the providers. And then by week three, you're expected to go and see your own patients. Uh, Dude, that's really quick. Mm -hmm. Also, if your corporate training takes longer than your clinic training, that's a red flag. Oh, huge red flag. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But fortunately, they realized that it was not working after they had a ton of new grads and even experienced providers quit just because it was just too much and there was such a big learning curve. And even with the onboarding process that we have right now in my clinic, I don't even think they set the providers up with all the tools they need to succeed. Because after your training, you're on your own. You have a supervising physician that's on your delegation agreement, but they're not necessarily with you all the time during your training. And they're definitely not working with you after your training period is over. And most providers are spread across the 20 different clinics that we have, and they have no idea what's going on at the other clinics. So I worked with one of the NPs who didn't even meet her supervising physician in person until maybe six months out at a gathering that we had, like a team bonding stuff. Dude, that's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Like how can, I mean, I get it, like technology, but honestly, as a new provider, that has got to be nerve wracking. Oh, it is. It's so nerve wracking. Even for experienced providers, I don't know why they do that for new grads. I don't think new grads really belong in the urgent care or the ER. Right. If you have one supervising physician that's with you all the time and they're willing to train you, then yes, go for it. That's a great support system. 
The problem with a lot of urgent cares in ER is most of the time, you're not even on the same shift and you're not even working in the same clinic as your supervising physician. So it makes it really difficult for you to feel truly supported. Yeah. And even though there may be two or three other providers in the clinic at that time, if they're all being paid based on productivity, it's not in their best interest to help you out because you're taking money away from them and slowing them down. So there's no incentive for them to help you because they are not your supervisor and they are not getting paid to supervise you. That creates a really shitty work culture and leads to a high turnover rate. Absolutely. Yes. I will tell you, we had six providers quit in the last six months, both new and experienced provider, and they all quit right after their contract was expired, which was at the two-year mark. Yep. They take that sign-on bonus and they're two years and, and they're out. cut out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So when I was working in the ER, it took me about a year or so of working. And then I started to pick up part-time work at Urgent Cares. And working in the ER made it super easy to transition to urgent care. But the number one complaint I had working in urgent care was that most of the time I was completely on my own. Mm -hmm. You just, you don't have the same support staff. You don't have access to the tools that you have in the ER. And a lot of times trying to convince patients that they need to go to the ER is just, it's super frustrating. I mean, like you're fighting with patients. Like I can't save your life. (laughs) Like you have to go somewhere else. And story of my life. Trust me, I know very well. I know. (laughs) So Erin, tell me, what's the onboarding process like in the prison? So the prison is really different. We have a lot of contractors that come through and most of their contracts are about three months. And we've had certain contractors come in and work for 13 weeks and just never get off the ground. They never understand how our system works. They don't understand how our prescription system works. And then we've had new grads who come in and they pick it up really quickly and they're up and running by six weeks. Doesn't mean that they still don't have a ton of questions, but it means that for the most part, they're able to see patients on their own. They figure stuff out and they just pop in for a quick question when they come up. So we have a lot of flexibility built into our system. But for permanent hires, the one thing that is sort of unique about working at a prison is something called CORE. It's about a four to six week training that you take with all of the new hires for the prison, including the correctional officers and other prison workers. They basically teach you how to work in a prison setting. So it includes self-defense and training with OC or pepper spray. No. Yes. No, you didn't. No. <laughs> yes. Erin, have you ever been pepper sprayed before? Tell me. No. I need to know this. No. I did not have to get pepper sprayed. I can't imagine yeah. you getting pepper sprayed. <laughs> no, but like the officers that are in your group, they have to get sprayed and they have to oh, like no. subdue a prisoner while they're being sprayed. And so we all stand around and watch them and then we help them to the eyewash station afterwards. So, oh my gosh. um, Because basically they're like, well, you only have to get pepper sprayed if you're actually going to be spraying pepper. Yeah, I get it. So, but whatever. So, thankfully, you only have to do it once and then you get to go back to your clinic. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, so let's say if your training time is up and you still don't feel prepared, you have to say something. However, if it's been three to six months and you still feel too nervous to be on your own, take some time to figure out why you're struggling. Is it your confidence level? Are you confused by the system? Is it the medical part that's really overwhelming or is everything just really complicated? 
Yeah. And maybe you have to reevaluate and it's not the right place for you. Or maybe it really is one of those places that it just takes longer to get fully trained in that specialty. But whatever the reason, check in with your supervising and let them know what's going on. And then between the two of you, try to come up with a timeline when you can reevaluate how you're doing. Yes, but the key here is to keep your supervising physician informed and make sure you're both on the same page as far as what your current expectations are within the clinic. Right, and it's also important to make sure that the clinic administration knows what's going on as well. If the expectation when you first started was that at six weeks you would be seeing two patients an hour, but you're only managing to get one and a half patients, let your support staff know so that they know not to overbook you and to still continue to book patients at a lower pace. And if your pay is tied into your productivity, realize that it might take longer to see those bigger paychecks. A lot, lot longer. (laughs) And we're going to (laughs) spend... And we're going to spend an entire episode talking about productivity and bonuses because I have a lot of shit to say about that topic. And right, so do I. <laughs> yep. Okay, guys, that is it for this week. We will see you back here next week for a much cooler and funner episode. What are you talking about? This was a badass episode. That is true. We are pretty badass. Yeah. Okay, I take the back. So make sure to tune in next week and don't forget to subscribe and download your PA Mentor podcast wherever you get your podcast. And please leave a rating and a comment. We love to hear all of your feedback. Make sure also to check out new videos on your PA Mentor's YouTube channel. Bye. Bye, guys.